Let me ask you, have you ever felt so overwhelmed that you just wanted to give up? Have you ever felt so unqualified for something that you felt that failure was the only option? Have you ever felt so ceaselessly attacked from people inside and outside, whether it be work or family or whatever myriad of situations that you may be in? As we saw last week, Paul makes reference to the last days and that there will be difficult times in those. And we talked about how every generation since Christ was resurrected and ascended have thought that they were in the last days for 2,000 years. And I am more and more convinced that Paul thinks his days are the last days. He's not writing to Timothy to say, uh, in the last days, but you won't see them, so don't worry about them. That wouldn't make much sense. Now, I should have pointed out last week that it's not a bad thing to consider yourself in the last days. That can be a good thing because it makes you live in expectation of the return of Christ. And so you work hard at your evangelism. You work hard at considering what it is that you truly value. If we knew for a fact that Jesus was not going to come back for a thousand years, we'd probably do things differently. Our approach would be different. Probably all of our evangelism efforts would be in um, nursing homes and hospitals. But there is also a danger in, in thinking that that day is, is imminent, too, is quite imminent. And, and so you have the approach that, therefore, I will go up to the hills and focus on myself. Or, or I will turn my attention away from my neighbor or my colleague and, and focus on my own holiness only. Instead of allowing it to be a, a driver for, for loving others for proclaiming the truth, for speaking the truth in love. Now, I ask these questions about feeling overwhelmed and unqualified and and attacked at the beginning because I reckon this is how Timothy felt. Paul has gone into how attacks will rise up from within the ranks of the church, and, and Timothy is going to have to address these, bringing correction in gentleness using the Word of God. There will also arise attacks uh, when the outside world seeps into the church and begins to sway people. And Paul says, these will come. And we ended last week hearing that the false leaders will eventually be exposed or revealed for who they truly are. And today we are looking at and learning about what Paul says to do in those days. These days, again, being today and every day until Christ returns. So what does Paul tell Timothy to do? Well, just three points for us this morning. Hold good mentors. Hold a proper view of this world and hold to Scripture. Hold good mentors. Verse 10. You, however, 
as opposed to following the false teachers. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Have you ever seen a godly life modeled? Have you ever watched a person closely? How they interact with friends and strangers. How they treat their colleagues. How they treat their family. Whether they practice what they preach. Whether they walk the walk that they talk. I've been reading a lot of Dr. Seuss with my son, so... Maybe for you it was a parent. Um, Maybe for you it was a mentor. Maybe for you it was an older person in the in the church, or someone from work, or 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 a teacher, or or a leader of some sort. It's impressive, is it not? Sometimes you look at a person's life and you think, "I would like to replicate that." Now, for me, uh, those types are not usually the upfront type people that are constantly in front of big groups. They're usually the behind the scenes people. There was an older minister on staff in the church in Australia, and his roles were, were quite varied and, and, and diverse, and he ran the music, and he would preach somewhat regularly. Uh, and even though he had somewhat of a, of a public profile, he was always behind the scenes. He knew the word well. He was humble. He was gracious. He modeled discipleship for me in a way that I had really never seen before. He was always gentle, always kind, always gracious. I was more of the, um, the hot-headed American, and so there was quite a contrast between the two of us. Um, and our offices were also right next to each other. And I, I would occasionally overhear him uh, reading the Bible with someone, instructing them, teaching them, uh, asking them questions, helping them uh, just from right next door. These people in our lives are, are a great treasure. They point back to Christ so well. Now, that is not to say they are perfect. They are not the pinnacle of idealism. But they are signposts that point us to where their hope and their strength and their love comes from. It comes from Christ. Now, I have to say there is a uniqueness here in these verses that, uh, that can't necessarily be replicated through mentorship. And, and that is that the Apostle Paul himself is unique. He holds the unique role as an apostle. And, and in a sense, Paul may be saying to us as well, though we do not know him intimately the way Timothy does, we have the great privilege of reading about Paul's work in Christ. And he sets a unique example for us as well. And so we follow his teaching. And we read about and study his aim in life. His faith. His patience. His steadfastness. Etc. Etc. 
You see, it is the apostolic example that is for Christians to emulate throughout all time. Of course we set an example. Of course we set an example. That, that's, that's part of what I'm drawing from this, but I think it's important to point out that, that Paul is unique. In Philippians, he says, um, follow my pattern of teaching, otherwise God will show you that you're wrong. Uh, not many of us can say that today. Really, none of us can say that, save the other apostles of his day. Paul is given the grace to be an apostolic example for all future time, which explains the way that he speaks here. Because if you're a little bit like me, you read through this and you think, my goodness, uh, my teaching, my conduct, uh, you know, my love, my, 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 aren't we supposed to be looking to Christ? Uh, aren't we supposed to be elevating Christ and decreasing ourselves? then why does Paul go to such an effort to, to apparently blow his own horn here? Maybe I'm the only one that thought that. It starts with that unique role of apostle. But also, Paul starts with his teaching. And then he goes on to give objective evidences of his genuineness. Why? I assume because he is so desperate for Timothy to see the discrepancy between the false teachers and himself, the Apostle Paul. He says, look at my teaching and compare what I taught to how I lived. Look at my teaching and compare it to the suffering that I went through. Would the false teacher's life match what they teach? Well, we know for a fact that that doesn't tend to be the case, does it? Would the false teachers suffer for what they teach? This is as simple as saying, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. Now, apart from Paul showing the difference between him as a true apostle and the the false teachers of that day, These are things that we look for as we consider those whom we choose as role models and mentors in the church, in our life. Does the person you follow have a good marriage? Do they love their husband or their wife? Do they love their children? My friend who I mentioned earlier, his grown children are away from the Lord for now. But the way that he would talk about his kids... Uh, the way he loved his kids and was patient with them, uh, even in their rebellion, uh, the way his heart would break when he would talk about the fact that he knew his children were away from the Lord, that they were lost. It, it conveyed his, his deep love for them. Does their walk match their talk? Do they have a life of confession? Or do they have a life of perfectionism? M- meaning, when they do make a mistake, do you see a pattern of confession and repentance? Now, I make much of this issue because this is of great importance here for us at this church, at Church of the Apostles. As as we consider and we strive toward being a multi-generational church, as we seek to see the generations come together and build relationships These are some helpful instructions for us as a church. 
Now, Paul's last point on this list leads us to our second point. You, however, have followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Hold a proper view of this world. Verses 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is not saying that uh, each successive generation is more evil than the previous one. What it is saying is that in the life of those evil people, they get worse and worse and worse and worse. Hitler was not always the the Hitler that we know of history. The, The fascist dictator. At some point, he was a boy, and then he was uh, a student, and then he was uh, a a private uh, for the German army in World War I. He wasn't born a a racist anti-Semite. His ultimate solution, in fact, for for eradicating uh, the Jewish population wasn't even on his plan until after the onset of war. That came later on. You see, evil imposters will go from bad to worse to worse. So we need to understand there are absolute trajectories in life. You you look at the lives of some people and they get more holy with time. Please understand holy meaning set apart, not perfect. There are some whose life trajectories are going like this while others are going like that. They, They become more cynical. They become more bitter, more evil with time. Do you see how massive this struggle is that we are waging war against? On the grand scale of things, the aim of life is not to get through life with as few inconveniences as possible if you are a Christian. By all means, yes, live at peace with those, with all people as much as it is up to you. And yet, on the other hand, understand that evil imposters will act worse and worse and worse and make it harder and harder and harder. And our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the prince of of darkness. And so we need to hold a right view of this world. As Tim Keller says, for the Christian, optimism is naive. But pessimism is atheistic. Optimism is naive because we have seen sin and we have seen its effects uh, throughout history, in our cities, in our own lives. The truth is that the world is condemned. It cannot save itself. So for the Christian, optimism is naive. But pessimism is atheistic because God is still on his throne. The gospel is still powerful. People are still being converted every day. And sometimes cultures change. God is still good and powerful. And we know that ultimately the victory is His. So we do not take our cues about optimism and pessimism from the world around us. We ground ourselves in in the Scriptures. And say, hold a right view of this 
of this world. Be realistic. What that means is that sometimes we have to draw lines where the world doesn't want us to draw lines. Like the fact that we believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Even though the world wants us to believe and say that everybody's the same. Well, we can't all be right. We need to understand what it is to live in these last days. Finally, we need to hold to Scripture. Verses 14 to 17, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. 66 different books, 40 different authors, three different continents, different languages, different genres, written over a span of 2,000 years, and yet it all comes from one source. Its authority comes from God Himself, all of it. Then there is the incalculable benefit of knowing the Scripture from childhood. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I know it's easy to hear a testimony like uh, Michael Franzisi who came and spoke for the Life Imprint Dinner, a man that was rescued out of uh, a a background of, of... being a murderer and, and, a, and a thief and in the organized crime uh, ranks. A, a man who clearly knew almost nothing about the Bible. And we look at a story like that and a testimony like that and we say, oh, you know, I wish I had a more powerful testimony like that. I wish I had a better testimony. I get that, especially for those of us who have grown up in the church. But that is not a biblical view. We rejoice in those stories. And God will certainly use them according to His will. But there are massive benefits to growing up in a Christian home. You witness what marriage was intended to look like. Not perfectly, but hopefully with grace. You get a vivid picture of the nature of man and the, the nature of God from studying the Bible, from reading the Bible. Meaning that you are probably less likely, when difficult times come, to have uh, no understanding of what is happening or why, and no one to help you think through and understand God's sovereignty. We just saw it on the video. David Guthrie, at the age of 14, was able to say those things because he had been rooted and grounded as a child in the truth of the Bible and what his parents had told him. There's nothing wrong with indoctrination. You're giving your children doctrine. You're teaching them orthodoxy, what is correct teaching. I personally have seen 
young people who, who have built relationships in the church, who have become Christians later on in life. They've built these relationships. And then, then for the first time, they have seen marriage modeled and child raising modeled well for the first time in their lives. So that when these single people get married or engaged, they all of a sudden had some base from which to operate. They weren't operating out of ignorance, uh, likely to follow the broken pattern that had been only modeled for them to that point. But instead, they had a a, a good model. They had a Christ-centered model. We want that to be who we are as a church here at Apostles. But on top of that, we want to be families who are raising our children in the covenant framework and its benefits. Just as Paul reminds Timothy, he has had. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's not just that you have the benefits of of memory verses. Or that you're able to tell the Old Testament stories. It is that you have the benefit of seeing how the scriptures are held together in Christ. Now, we have to remember, Timothy was, was raised as a Jewish boy. He had not heard the gospel until he was older. And Paul came to his town and his mother and grandmother and he were led to faith in Christ. But you see, his being trained up as a good Jewish boy, he was ready and uh, willing to hear the truth of the gospel. He knew God's character. He, he knew that God was loving and generous and kind, but that he was also just. And, and he knew that he was making a way of salvation available to, to all people. And they were just waiting to hear that good news. And so when Paul comes into the town and he preaches the gospel, the Spirit ministered to them and brought conviction and brought conversion. They saw how the Bible held together through Christ. And all of a sudden, the picture became clear. And that's the same for us. We we see how the the scriptures point to Christ, even in the Old Testament. How the narrative throughout is is building up to and flowing from this central figure of Christ. In whom we can have salvation through faith. Now I will say, it's possible to know your Bible and not know Christ. Christ. In college, I worked in construction with several guys who had actually served some time in prison and they'd done drug rehabilitation and had other criminal offenses. And I'll never forget what one guy said to me. First he asked, he said, who do you think knows their Bible best? I said, well, I guess ministers, clergy, someone in the ministry. He said, no, it's prisoners. He says, they have all this time on their hands, and so many of them will read the Bible over and over and over and over again. The problem is that their hearts are hardened, and so they have all the information, but they don't know Christ. They read what they want out of it. Obviously, there's conversions out of prison, and people are are certainly saved, but why wouldn't you want your children and your grandchildren, give them that opportunity to, to... To know Christ from childhood. Uh, To be, again, like David Guthrie, be a 14-year-old kid and say, I could die tomorrow, but you know what? 
He's giving me breath for today. And I will praise him in that. Not many 14-year-old kids these days, I feel like, would say something like that. And yet out of all of this, Timothy is to understand that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. How do you combat this world and its characteristics of the last days? You combat it with the Word of God. Which doesn't just mean coming at 9 o'clock on a Sunday or 10.30 on a Sunday. It's in the home with the family. It's with one-on-one with two people. It's in Bible studies. It's in your separate quiet time alone. It's with the person who doesn't know Christ. Who doesn't have a saving knowledge of Him. But may be open to you reading with them. And all of that will be helping to undermine the characteristics of these last days. Do you remember those from last week? Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This holding to Scripture, this taking it and reading it and applying it to our lives and giving it for teaching, for instruction, for correction, for rebuking and training in righteousness, it works against that massive list to undermine it in our own lives, and in the world. So hold good mentors. Hold a proper view of this world. Hold to Scripture. Timothy has a massive task before him. And yet he has all the tools that he needs to be equipped for his work. We have a massive task before us. And we have the very same tools, a fellowship of believers, mentors in the faith. And we know that the word, that this world only offers us temporary things and that it will turn its back on us when we choose the side of Christ. But we have God's word, which sends us out in great power and authority to wage war against these last days. So we have all confidence given to us through his word. Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone here who is feeling defeated or deflated or afraid, whatever it is that's crept up into their life, whether it's a personal issue, whether it's just turning on the news and looking at the situation with our world, no matter what it is that that is whispering to them that it's impossible. We know from these passages that we have all confidence that you have provided for us a people 
who are pointing one another to Christ, to salvation in Christ, who are reminding each one of us that this world is passing away. It's a dying world. And the only hope we have is in Christ Jesus. And so we can put our trust in Him. And so we hold to His Word, and His Word is true. And people will come, and they'll twist it, and they'll make it say things that that they want it to say. And yet we hold to it all the more. We use it actually to even discern between the false and the true. And so we look for people whose lives we want to pattern our lives after. We look at the life of the Apostle Paul and we understand that even in the face of persecution, the stoning, the being beaten with rods, the being shipwrecked, sick, all these things, none of them will stand between us and you. And so, Father, give us great confidence. Help us to be people who love you and love your word. Help us to be people who raise up the next generation by instilling in them these truths that have been passed to us from previous generations. That your word would go forth in power, with authority, as it has for 2,000 years. Give us confidence, Father. Help us to stand upon these truths that have been made evident to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we worship.